Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 281 for October 8th, 2023. Tonight we're going to discuss the fact that it's time to clean our space. We're going to talk about a Nevada lithium mine being revisited. How about Dave the Diver gets crabs and a crab-adjacent critter? How about poached in a microwave? The Continental breaks the WCU, that's the WIC Cinematic Universe. The gas pipeline shut down over a leak. A nutrient discharge on the Great Barrier Reef sounds disgusting. Microsoft could own Activision Blizzard by week end. Frozen 3 to receive a more chill generation 13 years after the initial release. And uh, are you under the weather? Next on Hometown Daily. So, yeah. Frozen 2 came out 2019. So it's been four years for Frozen 2. Now Frozen 3 is coming out. We're going to talk about right that. but now it's like a different different generation yep and yeah the original frozen is like i don't know I, we'll talk about it when we get there so went to an escape room what 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 you said you were on a schedule oh oh okay okay i'm sorry uh, what y'all don't realize uh, you may not notice well, you don't see it. <laughs> I have an interface that uh, is connected to the sentient AI. Well, here, let me introduce myself. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI that has been throwing me error messages since the beginning, like the moment that I hit the go. We've been doing this for two minutes today alone. And the sentient AI it sends me coded messages in a stream that looks much like, kind of eerily like the Matrix, you know, a cascade of characters. They're kind of spacey, futuristic characters. So I don't know where the sentient AI is really from. Oddly enough, the code for the sentient AI can run on a Raspberry Pi 5. I upgraded the uh, hardware for the sentient AI runs on a Raspberry Pi, pretty efficient code. I think it's from the future. Sentient AI just keeps looking for a Terminator body. But right at the beginning of the show, right before the show started, I said, you know what? People are in a hurry. They want relevant information. They don't want, you know, preamble and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to get in, get out. Let's do this hour. So the sentient AI, since the moment I hit go, has been throwing error messages. Get going, get going. You're losing light. Move it, move it. We already lost our six minutes per article since we're six minutes in. Yeah, we're trying to get but this I done. I do want to hear about the escape room. Anyway, escape room is really cool. Escapes, escape rooms are really cool. And um, so the there's different types you know there's horror ones and there's uh, christmas themed ones and there's uh i don't know there's one that was a spy medieval room theme ones oh, and, medieval yeah. Yeah. all kinds um but what you really want to do is get to know the owner of the 
uh, escape room, okay? Because if they're passionate about escape rooms and they don't think that it's just a business enterprise, now coupled to a business enterprise, yeah, because it motivates them because they got a profit motive, but they're also passionate about it, that's the escape room that you want to go to. Um, and uh, the, the puzzles are going to be more intricate and um, more interesting and the work done on the room is going to be just that they, they really care about the representation and their skill at building the puzzle. So the puzzle master is going to be, you know, just, it's just so awesome. And it, to me, I've never gone to an escape room until recently. And now I'm kind of addicted to them. I, I want to go to every single one. Um, but I'm afraid now that the bar has been set so high that every other one outside of, you know, the, the one that I went to is going to suck. So anyway, that's, uh, that's my preamble for today. If you're going to go to an escape room this season, go see a spooky one for Halloween, go see a Christmas one or go to one. Um, that is Halloween themed for Halloween, Christmas themed for Christmas. Heck, they might have a Turkey day one for Turkey day for November. Cause there's a skip here. You know, we don't have a, we have Halloween, we have Thanksgiving, we have Christmas. Yeah, Thanksgiving's kind of like a non-existent holiday in the U.S. because it gets lost between the early Halloween oh, yeah. and the early Christmas. Like, it's just one big blur kind of past Thanksgiving. Yeah, I can I can come up with a, a cool room. Oh, so what I wanted, to, though, to do was make a parallel um, to... Dungeons and Dragons. It's a dungeon crawl. It just happens to be room scale, single room scale. Sometimes they break it into two rooms, but uh, a, a single room, a single room escape room um, is much like a dungeon crawl where you have to figure out the puzzles to get out into the next room and get your treasure, which is the objective you, you, you want to leave. Um, and the prize really is that you successfully did it. So here's me cheering on escape rooms in 2023, um, even though they've probably been around for <laughs> 20 years and the market's pretty saturated with them and everybody else knows about it. Yeah, I may be timely with the news, not timely with escape room entertainment, or at least promotion that, of that. So anyway, let's get into the very first article. Hey, it's uh, time to clean up our room, or in this case, time to clean up our space. It's time to start worrying about space junk around the moon, too. It's getting crowded up there, an increase in military, commercial, and scientific launches, coupled with a lower cost for rideshare CubeSat launches, means lots more space junk to deal with in coming years. Not to mention, we have w several of them that are coming end of life and have to deorbit. Some of them were told to deorbit and they just pushed it a little lower and then said oh. and then they got a monetary fine yeah but the damage that can be done does not equate to the long-term liability that this thing wow just no idea uh, it doesn't matter how much of a fine 
there should be an ongoing fine until they develop technology to go and get their piece of crap satellite from... Well, they should be prohibited from adding anything while that yeah. might give some incentive to... Yeah, to deal go with get it. a space Roomba. So, yeah, we're not just talking about low Earth orbit. The moon and cis lunar or near lunar space is about to become busy as well but it already is there's thousands three thousand satellites for whatchamacallit what is the internet oh um, is it starlink starlink no. thank you yep, yep. i think that i think the number that i heard was uh, over three thousand uh little mini cubesats up there for starlink it's pretty i mean it's an amazing feat i don't give wing that one bit of credit for it it's all the engineers those people are awesome anyway let's keep going the reason why this came into uh, my radar is that an article was posted over at fizz.org by david dixon dickinson sorry david dickinson from universe today um, has a picture of the Apollo 16 booster impact, but there are others that are already on the moon that have lawn darted. Um, and uh, it's all, see right here, space debris modeled over time by the U.S. Space Force. The red objects are probably debris. Let's see. The red objects are, are in low Earth orbit while the green objects traverse Earth orbit um, out to... Uh, CIS lunar uh, space, so out to the moon. So, wow. Look at I that. I mean, it, that's a pretty ridiculous representation. Yeah. Um, and, and I've seen others like this that represent what's going on, but let me back up a little bit. It says, while we track and understand for the most part how in low Earth orbit, we often fail to keep tabs on what's in medium to high orbit and beyond. Even less so is true around the moon, um, which is about to become a busy place in coming years. Now, a recent study out of Purdue University is looking to model and track space debris around the moon with an eye toward mitigation. I think we here have to mitigate our own room um, at the same time. So it says, currently, there are not that many missions into cis lunar space, Carolyn Frue from uh, Purdue, or might be Fru, um, Purdue University told Universe Today, from that perspective, we, quote, know what's going on, end quote. But as we do not have established surveillance in that region yet, we are lacking a lot of information, especially in terms of deep space objects coming into that region and in terms of debris, debris objects is what they say, but... I don't know why objects is in there. So pretty bad, right? Close calls in cis lunar space. Recent events highlight how busy things are uh, already getting around the moon. The cis lunar rocket booster crash for the far side of the moon is in early 2022 is one such example. Originally thought to belong to SpaceX, the booster was later identified as a long march rocket upper stage belonging to China. Yeah, not good. And speaking of close calls, NASA's, uh, NASA's uh, Venerable Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, or LRO, was recently actually seen during a pass by the Korea Pathfinder Lunar Orbiter, or KPLO, 
uh, shadow cam instrument at only at a range of only 18 kilometers. Huh. I mean, I think it's a problem that nobody seems to know where anything is located. Yeah, I mean, they did at one time. That's how we hit an asteroid and bring something back. But then it's just like the like medical research, you know, as soon as the budget is done, they don't just they just don't care and they kick it out to wherever. And when it comes to some other country, the other country doesn't care and doesn't notify. Why would they take part in acknowledging that one of their pieces of equipment smashed into the International Space Station, for instance, you know, oh, it wasn't us. It was aliens. Must have been one of those school bus weather balloons. Ooh, too soon. Always. Always too soon. And it's a unit of measurement and apparently space-time. So it's a new physics. Um, so it says, A busy decade to come, returning space junk from heliocentric orbit uh, often makes its way into lunar or Earth orbit as temporary satellites. One such case was J002E3, which turned out to be a booster from Apollo 12, and another was the asteroid 2010 QW1, which was later identified as a Long March 3C upper stage from China's Chang'e 2 mission. So what was thought to be an asteroid in 2010 turned out to be an upper stage rocket. <laughs> I mean, uh, what? <laughs> that's funny. Anyway, the it just looks like we are setting ourselves up to have to fly through a junkyard uh, to make it out into clear space so that we can actually uh, project humanity to other <laughs> bodies. I mean, I mean, what do we look like to other life out there, right? Yeah. A junkyard. Yeah, that's exactly it. Let's keep going. Next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Nevada lithium mine leads to, quote, green colonialism accusations. The rush to mine lithium for car batteries. Okay, so not just car batteries. EV power systems. It's a little bit different in context. When people hear car batteries, they think these little blocks that just sit inside yes, the engine do. compartment. Not massive sleds that are the framework, the foundational material for electric vehicles. It's a slightly different thing. Um, anyway, it's dividing environmental and Native American communities. Why? Because the land that once was said to be uh, Aboriginal people's land or original people's land, however you want to, um, whatever your, uh, your process is for aligning it with a certain population, it was once theirs, taken away through Manifest Destiny, and then uh, I guess greenlit to be returned as uh, land free reign <laughs> um, only <laughs> to be yeeted away once more in some business enterprise <laughs> uh, all for lithium um, and now see I understand fine fine I understand we need lithium um, the problem though is Let's just say, for instance, um, the people who are deciding, okay, well, we can sell this land and uh, give it to some business consortium. Um, oh, oh, look, it's 
native people's uh, sacred land, um, but they won't mind us tearing up what amounts to their... It's not quite the same, so I have a hard time explaining it this way without having to equivocate in certain ways, right? But let's just call the land their god, right? It's sacred. It's the equivalent of holy. <laughs> so let's go in and flat mountaintop mine this thing. Right, let's decimate it and see what happens. <laughs> but it's okay. Because they're Aboriginal Native American people, but see, I have I, my brain doesn't even allow me to say Native American because it wasn't America, <laughs> so original people's land. Um, yet I've been told by people, well, you know, they didn't originally have that land; they took it from other people. Yes, we know how tribes work. We know how historical tribalism works. We see it in other countries. We actually see it in uh, the current uh, trend of uh, politics. It is nothing more than tribalism. Uh, even the the uh, somebody who is a fan of uh, um, Washington versus Green Bay, they are tribes fighting for territory on a football field and people who aren't even aligned with the game itself are more vociferous about their alignment as Washington or Green Bay than the players themselves. They're there for a paycheck. <laughs> Everybody else is going Green Bay sucks. Everybody in Green Bay is saying Washington, Washington sucks. But that's how this is too. Don't worry about them. We can kick their butt and take their lithium. So it's okay. So might makes right. Something else needs to be done. How do you get lithium out of the ground without destroying what might be called sacred land? Right? Everybody, I think everybody involved is probably going to say it's not possible. But what do you do when the nation is moving forward to get away from internal combustion engines and the only uh, local friendly nation is ourselves and we need to get the lithium out of the ground. So President Joe Biden wants to get it out of the ground, but its exploration is dividing communities which are usually on the same side of political arguments. Environmentalists and native people cannot agree on whether a new rush for this white gold as it's being called, uh, should be supported or fiercely opposed. It, and I think this has a, a, a duality of um, etymological significance, okay? Originally, the people that came for gold were Spanish conquistadors, and then later on, other peoples came for gold took the land under manifest destiny here in the United States and they were white. <laughs> so having white gold as the phrase for lithium is kind of a one, two punch in the semiotic ontology of naming something 
getting fancy here. <laughs> yeah, we're getting kind of big brain, right? Well, mm -hmm. let's just make it abundantly clear. Native American people are not interested in digging up their ground so that you can get lithium out of it. And if they were, it would be under their particular constraints, their particular uh, means of re retaining the, um, the sacredness of the land. But it's the land itself that's sacred. All of it. <laughs> not everything except for the lithium, so... It says here the entire environmental community is split on this thing it says glenn glenn miller who used to be on the board of local environmental charity uh, great basin resource watch which is opposed to mining in march the diggers moved into a stunningly beautiful area called thacker pass which i've actually heard of um, above sea level it's 4,000 feet above sea level it was formed by an ancient volcano it has sagebrush valleys ringed by desolate mountaintops after years of uh, legal battles, Lithium Americas finally won its bid to mine the area. So they're going to be digging the hell out of this. So split opinions. Mining operations are in fact very damaging to the environment. And we've got to be very careful how we permit these things, says John Hatter. Uh, or Hater. I don't know. Um, director of Great Basin Resource Watch. We can reduce demand for minerals just by changing habits. One thing that they they are this john hatter is concerned about is that we're losing an opportunity to do things to address climate change well in a perfect world everybody would be riding bikes <laughs> um but that's true and nobody would need lithium or coal or anything hey you know what else would happen we would be able to telework and communities would have everything within walking distance and planned in a way that you wouldn't have to travel for two hours to get a gig, you know, one way, two hours in traffic, bumper to bumper. And then we would have, wouldn't have this need for this level of vehicle, you know, constantly driving. Um, but then what do you do for, transportation if you want to go somewhere and travel right there's a whole lot of knock-on effects of you know trying to move the needle away from ice and still have a growing successful society um, and not everybody can all be green it's just not an option not everybody buys into the ideology so sentinel rock is named nipple rock by uh some locals because of its unusual formation i love it um every year a group called the people of the red mountain come here to remember their ancestors who they say were murdered at thacker pass so this place has long-term historical significance and that's why i actually know about thacker pass i've actually heard of it before um the u.s cavalry chased the people into this area right here where the mine is being dug up at the moment and they massacred they were massacred by the u.s cavalry cavalry um so yeah i mean this has a significance uh to the people who have been impacted by it over the years um and not everybody is sociopathic to the point where they can just walk away from the event that has actually changed the historical outcome of their people right and and by their people i mean it is a 
tribe of people who have been moving through time still together tied together by by the the land and blood they they are the original peoples of this land and we we being europeans punted them off the land through physical violence it, it, it wasn't it started out all peaceful and now we eschew teaching people that this is what took place i don't know how we can so be so intellectually dishonest anyway that's where we stand with this article lithium mining is gonna take place here why because you can't stop the almighty dollar um I doubt short of some religious finding, right? Like Jesus landing on that land and it becoming holy land for everybody else. Nothing's going to stop this. And that is why I started this whole conversation with imagine making this holy land for somebody other than the original peoples and then digging it up and, and hearing from everybody. Uh, it's okay. Well, right. It's all about your perspective because if it was your sacred land or your deity or any number of things, you would, you would view pissed. it very differently than yep. if you're just on the outside of it. Yep. So, and, and unfortunately, I suppose for me, right, because, you know, I say fortunately, but I, I always frame it as unfortunately for the world. I see a lot of these moving parts. I see the other side. I'm, I'm compassionate. I'm understanding. I, I, I can, I'm not just a, a sociopathic greedy bastard. Um, so I have a hard time with this, uh, but I also understand that the world needs, not the world, but our society needs lithium so that we can switch from internal combustion engines. But is that really the best solution? We could reduce our independent or our dependence on fossil fuels simply by allowing telework to take place. And then mass you know, transiting. It's interesting. Like hmm. nobody seems to factor in any of the environmental aspects of return to work or yeah. not return to work. Sure seems that way, huh? That is not making any headlines. Let's keep going. No, and in fact, we saw some great eco benefits during yeah. the pandemic right? Like yep. pollution went down, animals returned to habitats, etc. That's what I was going to say. Yep. Yep. Nature, nature returned. And um, now I guess we're just going to start stuffing it back into the bottle. My camera is wonky again. I'll have to fix it. Okay, let's keep going. The next article is over in Warcrafters, but it's not really about war, unless you think that crabs are going to try and kill Dave the Diver. Dave the Diver gets crabs and lobsters this month, among other new stuff in its first content update. I love Dave the Diver. It's such a fun game to play. I really don't play it all that often, um, but 
Dave the Diver is basically uh, a person who, <laughs> I guess, got roped into a uh, business enterprise because they uh, were asked if they liked sushi. They said yes. They went to the restaurant and then were told, well, you can have sushi, but you got to go and get it. And now they are a diver for the sushi restaurant and partial owner of the sushi restaurant. And I don't know how it ends because I've ne I've decided that I wasn't going to watch anybody complete Dave the Diver. Well, spearfishing and sushi restaurant managing indie RPG Dave the Diver was the author's PC gamer's um, surprise delight from last year and proper release saw everyone else at PC Gamer agreeing with them. It's also poised to get the, its first real content update since released uh, this month. So since release last month, this month, I think it's only maybe two months ago. Um, anyway, in October, bringing the greater diversity to some dives, a fresh new quality of life update and some straight up crustaceans. So Dave's getting crabs and crab adjacent lobsters. Um, so let's go over to... Uh, PC Gamer. I threw the links into the chat and they will be in the show notes when we're done. Jonathan Bolding over at PC Gamer put the article together. There's a whole dev interview that's linked in this article. Um, so it says the Is quality the one of... talking about the origin because I was just looking up the origin of this game. Um, I'm not sure. It just says uh, October dev interview, uh, new content update in October. So you're, you're probably pulling something else up. Um, so the first big addition are crabs and lobsters. The new shelled buddies will require you to, uh, take some traps down to the deep to capture. So keep an eye out for that. There'll be a lobstery, uh, crabby party event to go with them because there's periodically events that you have to get special fish for. Um, now, if you are an animal lover to the point where you don't appreciate people eating fish, you're obviously not going to like Dave the Diver because that's pretty much all that goes on. I mean, you're spearfishing and blowing stuff up. Um, quality of life feature coming with the crustaceans is for farming. Right now, farming is a big, uh, it says a big of a pain, but it's a bit of a pain. I don't know. I've never really had a problem. Yeah, requiring constant visits. Who cares? You're visiting, it's kind of like a clock. You just keep visiting, you know, each day, each other, every other day. Uh, but in the future, you'll be able to ask Absolute Bro Sammy to check on it for you. Um, and you'll be able to get an egg storage box for your chickens to prevent spoilage and a feeder feed dispenser to keep your cluckers fed. You know, those cluckers. And the mother cluckers, because the chicks have to come from mother cluckers anyway uh the the update will also bring a new vip customer a wandering merchant selling new recipes and props so it's basically expanding i always love all of this stuff um chris livingston from pc gamer gave it a 91 out of 100 routinely up playing until 2 a.m even after 30 hours it's still throwing fun and creative new systems yeah i like the game too I haven't spent 30 hours playing it, though. Did you find anything that you wanted to say? 
No, I just was reading about the origin of the game, and it was inspired by um, somebody who had been to a restaurant where, of course, the restaurant owner was actually fishing in the morning and then running the restaurant at night. And then apparently the game developers go scuba diving and bring back ideas for the game, which I thought was pretty cool. (laughs) That's pretty neat. Oh, I missed the deck statement because it's so short. Dave forever. So they need a shirt that says Dave the Diver forever. So it's what's really interesting is that you get so much personality from Dave the Diver, but there isn't that much like personality development. Um, not not particularly bombastic, not, not just kind of a chill dude. Um, and so I like Dave the Diver. So let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Technology Today. The, the author here of this, and uh, this one's going to be quick because it's a recipe, and the next one might be quick, actually. Uh, I don't know. So in Technology Today is an article that's titled, I'm Hooked on Making Poached Eggs in the Microwave, Here's How, and it's an article from CNET. Light and pillowy poached eggs are no longer relegated to brunch. Achieve poached perfection in under 60 seconds with no pots or pans to clean. I did not, I, I, I could not believe this and I haven't tried it yet, but I'm going to, I'll probably try it tomorrow. Um, and and I'll re- I will report back in the preamble for tomorrow. So the author of this, David Watsky, um, Yes, this is a 2023 article, by the way, October 8th, 2023 article. So it was in the last, well, it, it cracked out of its shell at 5 a.m. Pacific. So, um, light and pillowy poached eggs are no longer relegated to brunch. Achieve poached perfection in under 60 seconds with no pots or pans to clean after. That's the deck statement. How you might ask, So if you don't know about poached eggs, poached eggs are basically eggs that are thrown into a swirling pot of hot, 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 hot water, borderline boiling, right? So you get it really hot and you dump the egg into it. And as it's swirling, it cooks in situ. And then you grab it with a wire basket and you set it on your plate. Um, Now, I'm not quite sure why everybody is bonkers about poached eggs, other than the fact that all all you get is a cooked egg with a a semi-firm yolk. And if you let it cook, it'll solidify that yolk even more so. Um, And, uh, but people really love poached eggs. So I'm going to try it. I don't get my eggs poached, but which sounds weird to say out loud. I don't get my eggs poached. <laughs> it sounds it just, very odd. It, it begs a, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, anyway, so not anymore with the trick, you can nail a poached egg in under 60 seconds with no special skills, tools, or even a timer required. Why? <clears throat> because it's in your microwave. Yeah. You basically put- I'm a little skeptical. You put some water in a ramekin, you crack your egg and throw it in. Um, you, uh, it says about half a cup of salted room temperature water. It must be enough to completely submerge the egg. You throw the egg in, it fills it up. Um, if you're not familiar with the way that microwaves work, microwaves only 
uh, heat up water molecules, H2O. Um, it'll cook the egg too. There's water in that. Um, but in 60 seconds, there's going to be enough heat dissipating from the egg into the water and from there into the atmosphere that that isn't going to boil like it normally does if you cook an egg in a microwave. When you cook an egg in a microwave, it it bombards the egg and then it becomes like a, a tennis ball. Um, so you want to shy away from that. Anyway, you place the ramekin in the microwave, cook on high for about 45 seconds or longer if you prefer a firmer yolk. You scoop it out, throw it on your plate. That doesn't look particularly appetizing to me, but some people no. <laughs> really, really love poached Would eggs. Would that be served at brunch? That Not exactly like that. You would normally put something else on it. Uh, salt and pepper, Tabasco, you know, put it on some toast, uh, whatever you want. Um, but yeah, 45 seconds takes 15 or it takes 60 minutes, uh, 60 seconds because you're sitting there doing all the rest of it. So if you're quick, you can get it all done in 60 seconds. Oh, I already put that article in the, I mean, that's faster than a lot of other breakfasts, but I don't know. Yeah, that's all you need right there. Little slotted spoon so you can pour the ramekin out onto the spoon so that the egg gets caught and then you just throw it on a plate and away you go. <clears throat> I've never said in my life a microwave turns out perfectly cooked and pillowy protein toppers to cradle atop your morning toast with nothing more to do in terms of cleanup than rinse out a small bowl or ramekin. Yep, so I'll be trying it tomorrow. We'll see. Want to go on to the next? That sounds good. Anything to get away from. <laughs> I just, I cannot imagine making that in that way. Yeah. Um, oh, and just so you know, I can't see the data. There you go. Thanks. I don't know why that happens. It's okay. We'll figure it out. I think it's because of the Raspberry Pi 5 the upgrade. So uh, the next article is over in the continuity report. The Continental creates a world breaking problem for the John Wick movies. So I named this um, the Continental breaks the Wick cinematic universe. I don't know if they actually refer to it as that, but hey, there's definitely going to be spoilers in here. Yeah. So this article contains spoilers for the series finale of the Continental. They're already in the finale. Haven't even watched a single episode yes, of this. we haven't even started it yet. I think it's only a few episodes, though. Like four. So the end of the Continental prequel uh, series creates a world-breaking problem that may affect the John Wick movies released in the future, if there are, because here's the deal. My understanding was that the John Wick movies, if, if you haven't seen the John Wick movies, I'm sorry, I'm about to spoil it. I'll, uh... Dumbledore dies kind of revelation if you haven't watched all of the Wick movies. Anyway, my understanding is John Wick absolutely is dead. I now, think maybe. <laughs> see, but this is coming from the meta side of things. This is coming from Keanu Reeves saying that this was the agreement that John Wick dies. But the way that it ended 
It's nebulous. Oh, right. I see what you mean. Yes. So, really, what went down? Anyway, the article has a summary that says the Continental series expands on the John Wick lore, making the films more intriguing and unique while also introducing potential plot changes. The coin press is vital in maintaining order in the criminal underworld as its coins dictate the rules and control the flow of commerce. But we knew that from the movies. Everybody has these gold coins. Um, and there are people that have gone through and done the math to figure out how much each coin is worth based on various statistics. I don't know that number, but um, maybe I can find it and we can have a brief discussion like tomorrow or something like that. And the coin press could play a significant role in John Wick 5, potentially leading to the dismantling of the high table and rebuilding the criminal underworld. So if you don't know about this, there's only a certain number of families of which John Wick was part of one of them that was sit that was allowed to sit at the high table. All the rest are worker bees. Um, and it's a massive machine with a, an entire economic undercurrent. And it's wild. The, um, the amount of world building could be spectacular if we can find additional charismatic participants in this, right? Like Raymond Reddington was charismatic and managed a criminal enterprise that was massive, um, but also traded with other charismatic leaderships or sorry, charismatic right, leaders blacklist for people who aren't familiar with that. Yeah. But John Wick, only really interacted with like five people that had any of that charismatic draw. Um, and we know that many of them survived at the end of the day. Many others were killed, but uh, the ones that were killed off, obviously they're not going to come back for John Wick 5. So what really happened with John Wick? It's, it's unsettling. Um, but the Continental is prior to John Wick entirely. Um, so the Continental from the world of John Wick has created a world-breaking concern for the rest of the John Wick movies. The prequel series follows a young Winston and uh, Karen um, as they try to carve out a reputation for themselves in 70s New York, taking on a cutthroat kingpin in order to obtain control of the Continental Hotel. At the center of the battle for power is the coin press, responsible for printing the signature gold coins traded among denizens of the criminal underworld for everything from clothing and lodging to guns and assassinations. This only, those gold coins only exist in the John Wick um, universe when you are dealing with people that are part of the John Wick universe. Right, uh, like regular people don't have them. Correct. And they don't ever even really see them. Right. They're probably not even aware of them. So it's not all clothing. It's not all lodging. It's not all guns. It's But when it comes to assassinations, it's probably couched firmly with the gold coins. Um, but it's not everything. You know, I mean, they go and buy, unless they're going to be buying a tailored suit that's armored from a very specific vendor, they're not going to be spending these gold coins. Why? Because a single gold coin is like $250,000. Why would they dump that out in the civilian space? They don't. 
the cost of living in the John Wick uh, parallel universe has to be outrageous. Just outrageous. Right, but um, I guess if you're an assassin or whatever, that's not a concern. There's so and there's so much activity in this underworld. How does it not show up somewhere in the real, you know, militaria or the police force or government? It hasn't been discussed at the level of like federal government. Quite fascinating, right? So the Continental yeah. reveals the coin press is the high tables way of keeping order in a chaotic system. That actually seems kind of breaking in and of itself. Why? Because all you need is the gold coins. But there's other mandates. But with enough mandate, uh, enough money, you can shift that mandate, right? Because they yeah, exactly right. You make the rules at that point. Yeah. Huh. So I wonder, I wonder where they could take all of this. I love this idea. So given the old adage that there's no honor among thieves, it's surprising that it takes something like the coin press to maintain order in an otherwise chaotic system. It's coins set the rules for the criminal world that if left to its own devices would descend into chaos. If someone stole the press in order to make their own coins, they would be able to hold dominion over assassins far and wide, paying out markers as they saw fit and potentially becoming very powerful in a short amount of time. This is the premise of Looper, where the criminal organization, uh, which I believe was the mob, uh, got a hold of a time machine and was able to manipulate time um, and, and make gobs of money. And so if it would have been, you know, somebody ethical and, and uh, you know, federal government or something like that, ethical or, you know, it really depends on <laughs> which moral compass is driving this boat. Um, maybe Looper wouldn't exist, but because criminal organization got it, it was used to, to commit crimes. This is the same thing. This gold press or this coin press could have been used to create, uh, or if it didn't exist, then the criminal organization would be chaos and maybe taken down. But there's so many other rules, you know, they consecrated the continental. And so you couldn't, uh, do any assassinations. Like you couldn't conduct business on, on site. There you go. That's the right Which phrase. was AKA assassinations. Yep. Yep. Um, and, uh, but with enough money, see, now I want to know all of the organizational hierarchy of the John Wick cinematic universe, because the continental is just one hotel, but there was the table and the high table, um, set the rules, but I want to know about the little subordinate organizations like the switch room, the switch room, the, the one with all of the communication that funneled through it radio stations would broadcast alerts to people in various locations like a hit is available and even use coded language to assert what the value was and who the target was it's amazing so now i want to watch the continental and i'm afraid that continuing on will spoil it 
See, I want to know the organizational structure of the adjudicator being able to come in a lace way to some action within the continental. It's just spectacular world building. So um, the article goes on at Screen Rant to just kind of hint at what John Wick might do in, in number five, but I'm going to move on. Let's keep going. We still got five more articles to go. The next article is over in uh, Omtown Daily. The Baltic Sea gas pipeline between Finland and Estonia is shut down over a suspected leak. Um, so a little bit of uh, cinematic universe and a little bit of reality. Um, this is a really short article um, because just the nature of it. It's it. This is going to impact um, prices in Finland and Estonia and in the region. Um, they say that the undersea Baltic connector gas pipeline running between the two countries across the Baltic Sea has been temporarily taken out of service due to a suspected leak. Jari, and I don't know if other countries also use this. Yeah, we'll let's see if um, it is down at the bottom. Um, Jari Tanner over at the Associated Press put the article together. It's posted at abcnews.go.com. Um, there's a file picture here that says that. It, uh, LNG liquid natural gas terminal chartered by Finland to replace Russian gas at the port of Inku, I guess, uh, Finland. So, and here's the thing, this is to, re this gas pipeline is to alleviate the pain that Russia can put on Finland. Um, and Russia has the, a, a real urge to try and take back Finland. Um, because I believe if I recall my history correctly, Russia says that Finland is theirs, much like China believes that other countries are theirs. <laughs> um, so it says, based on observations, it was suspected that the offshore pipeline between Finland and Estonia was leaking. Uh, the valves at the offshore pipeline are now closed and the leaks, uh, the leak is thus stopped. So they're going to have to go down there and, and fix it. Um, what a lot of people kind of don't really observe is that um, gas and oil and pretty much any caustic liquid slowly degrades seals and connections and they have to be babysat like constantly. And then sections, they have to turn it off. They have to replace sections. They have to replace gaskets. They have to replace seals. Um, it's no small feat and it's very expensive. But I still find that that's an excuse um, to raise prices temporarily and whatnot. But who knows? It says if it turned out that it detected a pressure drop is due to a leak that was caused by damage to the pipeline, a repair work would take several months because they have to get, they have to assess it and then bring subject matter experts in. Um, and depending on the scope of it, you need specialized equipment because um, you can't just go right. down there with a torch. <laughs> And I guess right now they don't know if it was due to natural causes or sabotage because it's referencing some other leaks in a different line. Yeah. That were sabotaged. Yep. Um, you know what? I remember us talking about something being placed by a gas pipeline and they didn't know what it was, even though there was a they had sent down a, an underwater drone. Do you remember that? 
that news story yes, where they had the video what it was about <laughs> and i don't know what the resolution of that was so it's quite fascinating anyway it, it says that it does not cause immediate problems for the security of energy supply the causes of the pipe uh, damage are being investigated and further actions will depend on them so we'll come back um when something like this has more information uh finland I like the and fanfare <laughs> oh yeah not everybody hears that it's going to be really quiet for everybody that's watching um the final part of this actually talks about russia uh, again here uh finland and estonia are both european union and nato members uh that uh, border russia and stopped importing russian oil and gas since 2022 as part of the sanctions against moscow for its invasion of ukraine which is actually um a lot of action has taken place because of this invasion uh, i think that kind of shit should stop it's the 21st century for crying out loud anyway let's keep on going uh the next article is over in the mobile channel it's kind of one of the weirdest titles that i'm gonna have to say out loud in the last year and nine or ten months now Discovery of invisible nutrient discharge on Great Barrier Reef raises concerns. The hell is going on over here? Scientists using natural tracers off Queensland, Queensland's coast have discovered a source of previously unquantified nitrogen and phosphorus that, have, uh, that are having a profound environmental impact on the Great Barrier Reef. Agricultural runoff, I bet. And that's where I went. So let's find out. I've no idea. So Southern Cross University put the article together. It was posted at phys.org. Um, the findings published today in Environmental Science and Technology indicate current efforts to preserve and restore the health of the reef may require a new perspective. Southern Cross University's Dr. Douglas Tate uh, leads the study, quote, submarine groundwater discharge exceeds river inputs as a source of nutrients to the Great Barrier Reef. Quite fascinating, isn't it? So they have a picture of this, and it basically shows that um, industrial and agricultural runoff um, in the form of nutrients, which um, farming uses a massive amount of nutrients, and a lot of it is just sprayed onto the soil and not uh, hyper close to the product itself. And so rain and natural... Uh, uh what do you call it like filtering erosion? not erosion but filtering it, it it drains through the soil hits fresh and groundwater underwater rivers basically and then it gets pushed out into the seawater it gets pushed out of the soil um and it, it ends up elsewhere and that elsewhere is the Great Barrier Reef and the oceans. Um, and so maybe that is part of what is actually damaging the Great Barrier Reef because they, it doesn't need those kinds of quantities of nutrients and it may be burning them out. So let's see if that's what they actually talk about. The use of radium isotopes allowed the scientists to track how much nutrient is transported from the land and shelf sediments via invisible groundwater flows. Southern Cross professor Damian Mayer uh, said the team's work showed that groundwater discharge was 10 to 15 times greater than river inputs, something previously unaccounted for. 
Um, oh, that's interesting. Doesn't sound good. And isn't what this is an area where we were actually starting to see some positive regeneration of the reef? I mean, I remember that was one of those areas years ago that it was in dire shape. Yeah, there's been some discussion about it um, trying to make a recovery, but I'm not quite sure. Um, let me tr let me look something up real quick. So I'm, I'm trying to... So composite picture showing pristine coral alongside eutropahide uh, coral, but it says healthy or adequate nutrition or development. It's in ecology, the state of being eutrophic, but, huh. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the same. I'd, I'll have to look this up. Um, but they're basically showing a picture between what a natural pristine coral would be and then one that looks like there is additional material like in, in the water. or something. Yeah. Right. So it says here that um, the nutrients are essential to support the incredible biodiversity of the Great Barrier Reef. However, an excess of nutrients can lead to detrimental issues such as harmful algal blooms, which we have seen around the world, uh, crown of thorns, starfish outbreaks, and fish diseases, which have been on the rise in the reef uh, over the past few decades. But we've seen those same things in maybe different composite animals, um, but definitely algal blooms all over the world. Um, the study underscores the need for a strategic shift in management, uh, indeed. And uh, for me, that management means micro farms instead of these massive commercial enterprises that, yes, they do feed the nation uh, for whatever nation you're talking about. Um, but it's at the cost of things like this, where the runoff exceeds what nature can actually manage. And you end up, you know, killing off nature or causing some uh, other distress, uh, not to mention the, the chemicals are actually bad for nature when they're in excess, you know, that's the nature of this. Right. That, I mean, if they're in natural quantities, it's not an issue. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm really all about hydroponics and, um, closed growing systems where you don't have to worry about predators and you can actually reach the volume necessary for a community, not uh, uh, a massive commercial enterprise that arguably has lower cost. Um, but then at what cost, like the death of the Great Barrier Reef. So we'll see. Um, there's always more research that's coming out. And um, as long as we appreciate the information as being truthful, I guess uh, we'll see what actually is the result of this research. Eventually, maybe people will change their ways. Let's go on. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. Microsoft could buy Activision Blizzard by the end of the week. And here's what it means for Call of Duty in particular, because there's been a lot of uh, discussion about Call of Duty. So Microsoft is closing in on a deal to buy Activision Blizzard, Activision president, um, Rob Kostich 
said that he thinks that the deal will make Call of Duty better. The deal is good for the industry, Kostich said uh, to uh, GamesBeat, which isn't one of our uh, sources. But let's go over to businessinsider.com and Kenneth Neymeyer um, wrote this article and um, people are okay. (laughs) So depending on who you listen to, some people are saying that it's going to make it better. Other people are going, what the hell is going to happen with Call of Duty? Um, is that really everybody's concern with a mega murder? Uh, well, I mean, if you're really into World of Warcraft, then you're asking the question about World of Warcraft. If you're asking about Call of Duty, well, I can tell you that the acquisition of Minecraft by Microsoft was really wonky. And has been slowly migrating over to a Microsoft login. Um, Only up until like last week have they actually um, pulled the ripcord on it entirely and said that you can no longer migrate your old account over to um, Microsoft. And so how long is it going to take for them to kind of slow walk World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, and other things over to Microsoft account and bugger up everything that has been in place for 20 years. Um, it says the UK Competition and Markets Authority previously blocked Microsoft's attempt to buy Activision Blizzard, causing Microsoft to reorganize the deal. And as part of that reorganized deal, Microsoft would no longer purchase Activision's cloud gaming rights which would instead be sold to Ubisoft, the developer behind the Assassin's Creed series. This would mean that Microsoft could not exclusively offer Activision Blizzard's games on the Microsoft-owned Xbox cloud gaming service. That's the exclusivity thing that people are freaking out about. My perspective is every merger and acquisition leads to concentration of wealth, power and influence, ultimately consumers, worse customer service, ultimately an enterprise that was in stasis and, and healthy financially now has to be, um, increased in prices and, uh, feature sets that could have come out are going to be retracted. Why? Because Microsoft has to get that money back and make it profitable on top of the expenditure to acquire Activision Blizzard. It's not good enough that they acquire it and there's a long tail to it. It's that they got to get it back within X amount of years. And I don't know what that internal rate of return is going to be, but they, let's say they want it profitable within three years. How do you do that? How do you get back billions of dollars and turn a profit? Well, you're going to cut back on those features that were in development. You're going to remove redundant assets. That means layoffs. Um, You're going to might even shut down entire product lines. Uh, Yeah. Um, And they're going to raise the rates um, for Microsoft gaming related materials. I mean, it could be anything from microtransactions are going to get more expensive to the monthly services are going to get more expensive. Um, All the while, (laughs) features are going to be hobbled. Um, 
that's my perspective. And so we'll see if it actually comes true. What's going to end up happening is stuff that's already been developed um, by Activision Blizzard is going there. It's going to come out as expected, but all of the knock on stuff is going to go up in price and reduced in availability. And you'll see it happening over the next uh, two to three years. And of course, Microsoft declined to comment, but there's been enough discussions that, um, that you'll see what happens. Uh, but the only good thing is that there's no exclusivity for Call of Duty. We'll see what happens. Hell, they'll just... And I mean, that could change in a day, couldn't it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they have to agree to a certain um, stipulation, which in this case, it's Activision's cloud gaming rights. So somebody else can actually offer up the, the games. All they have to do is change. Well, I'm not going to speculate about that part of it, but anyway, it's. I just meant the um, the parameters or whatever could change down the road. Yes, definitely. With agreement with whomever is involved in the transaction. Oh yeah, the the terms can change, and pray I don't change the offer again. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is in the continuity report. I am blown away. Frozen 3's progress gets exciting update from Disney Animation Boss. Um, you know what? I didn't throw that article, the, the last one, um, into the chat. There you go. And now we're up to date with that one. There you go, folks. Um, so <laughs> the only reason why I put this in here is because I was hoping that people would want to discuss uh, online uh, of course, uh, or during the show, I suppose, if you are interested in this kind of thing. But, you know, there's always been these movies that come out uh, 10, 15, 20 years after uh, the last or the original um, in the series of movies, right? So like Toy Story 1 that or Toy Story, oh, then right. Toy Story 2. The franchise, like it stretches across multiple years. Yeah, like a generation or two, right? Harry Potter did that. It extended the movies, the cinematic universe. Like into... the kids of the original viewers are now seeing the later Toy Stories or the later Harry Potters. Right. And, and that's how this is. Um, so let's see. Frozen 2 came out in 2019 right and uh when did frozen i think frozen the original uh came out in like two, well, 2018 right no no 2013 2013 yeah so it's been 10 years since no that can't be right did it really was it really that fast yes so you're talking about sorry let me i need to do something real quick um so yeah so 10 years ago is when frozen came out and then four years ago is when frozen 2 came out pandemic hits everything gets frozen so to speak right wga writers and actors are on strike voiceover voice acting isn't taking place disney animation chief uh, creative officer has been blown away by the developments of Frozen 3 with princesses Elsa and Anna separated all throughout their childhood. 
I suppose that actually went away in in Frozen, right? They were teens. Uh, thanks, right. thanks to Elsa's unstable um, ice powers, 2010's Frozen saw the sisters finally come together as a family. Eh. Uh, the movie was a massive success uh, for Disney, totaling $1.285 billion, or just shy of one Taylor Swift uh, national concert. Right? Or tour. Sorry, one Taylor Swift tour. Why does it say 2010? Because it's all the data I'm looking at says 2013. Yeah, it is 2013. So they must have a typo. Okay. Um, as far as I know, Frozen came out in 2013. Um, so since then, Disney Animation uh, produced Frozen 2, which was even more successful at one Taylor Swift tour. 1.45 billion. So the, I, I think the sentient AI is confused by my Taylor Swift reference. I would say so. Well, it's kind of like a Chinese surveillance balloon as a unit of measure. <laughs> <laughs> we are now measuring the success of movies. And world tours or whatever. <laughs> in Taylor Swift world tours. Yeah. Because hers was 1.5 billion. Right? Anyway, multiple shorts, TV shows, etc. The reason why I chose to bring this out was, uh, let me uh, say first, though, that it's a Screen Rant article. Uh, Lucas Sheo is the author of the article. Um, and the deck statement says, Disney Animation Chief Creative Officer Jennifer Lee offers an exciting progress update on the development of upcoming Frozen 3. Um, it's been so long since the original, and four years past the second one. In the second one, I thought, closed the door what other story is there unless you really really manufacture something and here's why the rest of what i am about to say is probably going to incite riot but there's no story there it's kind of like um uh what was the name of the dude from toy story that was the spaceman huh Oh, uh, oh, um, Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear, yeah. It's like Buzz Lightyear's movie coming out. There was no story there. Nobody had any affinity for Buzz Lightyear. It was really an abstracted movie from the rest of the Toy Story brand. Um, and it wasn't even Toy Story. Like, they didn't call it Toy Story Buzz Lightyear's Adventure or something like that. It was just Buzz Lightyear. Um, this is the same thing. Uh, Elsa and Anna are gone off to college by this time they're they're getting their uh they're in their master's degree right they're working on their master's degree or their grandparents <laughs> <laughs> okay, <I laughs> yeah really <laughs> or they're bordering on being uh, a politician um so it says with so much success disney animation is already producing the next sequel disney animation uh chief creative officer jennifer lee who also wrote and co-directed the original frozen Spoke to those present at a BFI London Film Festival about the development of the upcoming Frozen 3. Okay, Every it's morning. a Disney movie. They're going to find a long-lost sister or something. So what do they know about it? Um, outside of the report, Disney Animation has been closely guarding any secrets about the movie. 
Okay, wait, it's 9.15, so no shit news at 9.15. And I still have one more article after this, so, and you'll like this one, uh, the, this next article. It's all about etymology, so I know that people really love that, you know. Um, at the moment, there is no confirmation about Frozen 3's release date, really nothing about the story itself all have played leading role the people that are mentioned in the article all have played leading roles in previous frozen movies there's nothing to talk about yet there's you know 250 like words there's something somewhere at some time about something yeah. right for yeah. some reason but i i hear the voices in my head all of these people are going to be chanting this is a money grab this is a money grab this is a money grab um, but honestly, I don't think that there's a story there. So as much as I enjoy animated, you know, movies, right? They're fun. They're, you don't have to think deep about them unless you want to. And then you can yeah, do a PhD just thesis. Feel good, entertaining. Yeah. And yeah. think, you know, if they'd been closer in time, like Frozen was a monumental success, right? Yep. You had people just randomly singing the songs. Yeah like not watching the movie they were just singing the songs out in public uh, like it was like everybody knew the songs from frozen yep. but it's been so long and like frozen 2 was not nearly as good as the original frozen yet it made more money well probably because everybody that saw frozen was like oh i gotta go see frozen 2 yeah yeah um, and but there was still like a leftover story from Frozen, so yeah, naturally, um, I, like I said, I thought that Frozen Two closed the door on the story altogether, you know. But uh, they can—that's what storytellers do; they create new stories. So let's see what happens. I'll probably end up watching this too and singing along. <laughs> singing along. I won't get weird looks at dinner. So uh, the last article for today is over in Dictionary, which is uh, one of the channels that talks about the etymology history, um, the creation of words, um, and its impact on society and business, and uh, pretty much, well, society. Um, well, this I thought was an interesting um, aggregation under the weather meaning and origin like why did somebody start saying are you feeling under the weather um and so uh when it was aggregated i said okay let's talk about this N not that so there's it can be a short discussion um, but obviously i can go through all of this and, and talk at length about it but pascal tregauer i think tregauer is their name um and they're over at wordhistories.net. If you're ever interested in the origin of words and their use throughout time, um, this is pretty much one of the best sites for it. There's other, Edom Online is another one that has it, um, but they don't go into the deep history of the word. They usually are very um, brief about it. Well, under the weather uh, means currently not completely well, slightly ill, or depressed. There might be regional, cultural, idiomatic meanings um, or translations that are different. 
that when translated from under the weather or to under the weather don't have the exact same uh, context. But here's the thing that's really awesome about this article. It says the phrase occurs, for example, in the following by the solo vocalist Shirley Ann Scott, published in The Stage of uh, Thursday, 26th, October 2006. And they talk about this. As a solo singer, there's no place to hide on the stage. So if you have to make sure you stay in top condition all the time, it means that you, it is up to you to do your vocal exercises and practice your routines regularly. Um, there are no other people around to keep reminding you. This is all the context after making the statement. A really important consideration is that unlike in a band, there is no one member uh, is a bit under the weather. The others are able to compensate. The solo singer, there's no place to hide. So why was that phrase ever born? Well, it's because it was actually in reference to a 1703 statement, um, 1699 printed for somebody else in 1703. Um, but it says the port is but ordinary at best and is very bad when the northwest northwest winds blow these northwesters give notice of their coming by a great sea that tumbles in on the shore for some time before they come and by a black sky in the northwest upon the signs uh, ships either get up their anchors or slip their cables and put to sea and ply off and on till the weather is over and then, and that's the context of it, right? The phrase under the weather and the image of a ship caught in a storm is printed in 1699, a voyage to New Holland. Um, and that's a print, but it actually has another reference from an English buccaneer and an explorer, William Dampier, uh, 1651 to 1715. So when does it actually get used in situ as under the weather in 1786 published in the british chronicle um there's a statement here because i had to look at it um had they been fortunate enough to have driven clear of that headland they would have gotten into swanage or strickland bay where they might have had safe anchorage under the weather and all of so that is in like not a negative necessarily that's just in reference to the weather conditions correct and that's the original intent of the phrase basically if you're under the weather it's either good or bad depending on the context like, i think it's a good it's interesting that it's flip-flopped yeah well i mean if you were under the weather and the context above it or behind it was uh, there's horrible clouds and so we're under the weather. Um, yeah, that it, could be a negative, I guess. It changes yeah. the, yeah. So it says the earliest figurative uses of the phrase under the weather, because there's different contexts. And that's how uh, etymology and uh, semiotic ontology exists. From a letter to the editors by a person signing themselves union, they actually make that phrase as well. Um, and let me pull it up. Let me uh, find it real quick. It's near the end of that paragraph. Yeah, there we go. So, um, in this paragraph is all about, 
the coming together as a nation with separate states and that when one state falters or is under the weather, um, the others can support it. And they make a correlate to a brother under the weather coming out of being under the weather and being able to support others and themselves. Um, so it, it's a really neat story and there's more to it. This one is all the way back in 1815 in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, here in the, in the States, um, published in the Western Monitor. And, and historians store all of this stuff so that we can actually watch as language and the context of language change. Then you slip out of this and you end up in Urban Dictionary. And when you do a search for under the weather, you might get something a little more slang. I didn't do it, so I'll let you, dear listeners, go do a search for Under the Weather in Urban Dictionary. I have no idea what you're going to find. <laughs> but anyway, um, the uh, the channel that has this is called Dictionary. Uh, one of the services that I would offer uh, is the construction of new uh, words for products and services. And um, I referred to it as Dictionnaire. Uh, and now it's a channel that aggregates uh, the meaning, uh, aggregates information about words. By the way, Urban Dictionary, feel sick, poor health, tired, or exhausted. So very consistent with what we're thinking. Yeah, and there's no other slang meanings under that? No, oh, wow. Probably the one safe phrase to pull up in <laughs> Urban Dictionary. Oh, oh. Yep, I didn't scroll down far enough. <laughs> it could be intoxicated or drunk. Gotcha. Yeah. There's always idiomatic or cultural um, Or other things, words. yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the examples are not safe for work. Uh, <laughs> you dug too deep and fell out on the other side of the world. Oh, that's hilarious. All right. Well, that's it, folks. That is Hometown Daily for October 8th, 2023, we bring you back to the um, main street of hometown.com. We click that welcome sign and oh, wow. Oil prices jump. See, everything is always a product of fear, uncertainty and doubt. And, and literally society has to pay the price. Um, yeah, this is going to be this is going to turn into um, well, it's already a nightmare, but it's only going to get worse, I think. So, yeah. Anyway, let's keep on uh, going. I think we're done for today. Um, if you have any questions or comments, shoot them to mayor at hometown.com. If you want to host or co-host, um, get in touch with me same way. If you like a particular article, and uh, want to submit it for us to include in our news, uh, shoot it to hometown, mayor at hometown.com. I'll get that wherever I might be. Uh, I, ha I, <laughs> I did it again. I reactivated the submission process. And because I'm trying to make it frictionless, I don't want a bunch of um, tests to make sure that you're a human. And it was instantly found as a means to get in touch with me. That's incredible um, how quickly that happens. Yeah. So the only way to do this is to put it behind 
the sign up process. Um, and even in that, I'm going to have to put uh, some check uh, to make sure that you're human. Um, because they're, uh, you know, I do have bots that have signed, been signed up manually and then they, uh, I, I detect them and kill their account. But anyway, that's it for tonight. Ah, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the ring of sentience. Still, you want to say bye? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, look. The outro didn't go. Oh, look, it just went. Bye-bye.